Hey, praise God. Who else has a testimony? Anybody else? Who's just, you don't have to talk, but who would just stand and say, I've got a testimony today. The Lord's been good. Just by way of standing. Just stand on up if God's been doing something. Those of you who are online, there's, I'm not going to count, but there's several. Um, Can we just say, thank you, Jesus. You're the God who moves and ministers and heals and saves and provides and you are on your throne as Israel led us to sing this morning. And right now, God, we thank you that the God who did is the God who does and the God who will do. You are the past, present, future, the Alpha, the Omega. And if you did it then, you can do it again, as Pastor Andrew always says. So, Lord, loose such a hope across the airwaves right now, right here on the Central Coast, Father, rippling across our state and nation and all over the nations of the earth, we pray that the power that flows from the man Christ Jesus would be loosed over the earth today. That, Lord, as your sons and daughters gather online or in person, would you, Lord, just show up with such power, such provision, Lord, that your presence would be upon us and that your presence would flow through us. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. He is good. Open up your Bibles. Let's get right into it in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The Lord is just so faithful that if we'll just stay in his word, he'll keep speaking. That's a good word right there. You should write that one down. If you stay in his word, he'll keep speaking. And I love that I have an amazing dad, earthly father, and great heavenly father. But my my dad raised me as a young man to love the word of God. And I love the word of God. I've memorized it. I love it. I feast on it as a lifestyle since I was 16. I'm old now, but it just keeps getting better, sweeter. Peter was right when all the crowds left because the teaching of Jesus demanded surrender and wholehearted reliance upon his provision. When the crowds left in John 6, Peter said the infamous words that apply to the church of every age, on into the age to come, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Can we just say that today? Jesus, you have the words of life. Come on, say it. Jesus, you have the words of life. And let's say it even better, Jesus, you are the word of life. (laughs) All of the words of life point to its source, the word of life, Jesus Christ, the living bread and the living man. So as I was reading, the Lord does this. He's sneaky. I felt as I was reading through the Gospel of Luke, I just figured I'd pick up Luke part two of the book of Acts. He wrote both, part one and part two. And I just figured I'd keep on going. We're going to get to Luke nine eventually, someday. But as I kept on reading, and the Lord does this, that how many know that all stories are really borrowing from the ultimate story, the story of the God who intervenes in history to redeem, restore, and reconcile all things to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So every time we find ourselves in a story or competing stories or narratives, it's important to anchor ourselves in the story, and what we'll find is the story speaks to every other story. And I've found that especially relevant in our current moment from Acts chapter 4. This is the first century equivalent of the attempt to censor. This is censorship first century style. That's where we're going to get to. And we might not get there the way you think, but we're going to get there nonetheless, or the way I expected But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking for the Holy Spirit, that anoint the anointing that teaches us all things, 1 John chapter 2. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, 
just as it has taught us, so remain in him. And when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall be confident because his perfect love has cast out all fear. And on the day of judgment, we'll be confident as we stand before the Son, because the anointing, the Holy Spirit, has one consistent message, abide and remain in Jesus. This is his perpetual message. Keep looking to, keep learning from, keep relying on so that you can live and love like Jesus, the Word made flesh. Father, I'm asking for that anointing to come upon your people in this hour. I'm asking that the anointing of truth would break through all that is counterfeit, all that is false, all that props itself up as knowledge or truth but isn't. It's a shadow. It's hollow. It's only a shell. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come and anoint your bride for the hour ahead. That we would know the truth and the truth would release such a liberty of spirit that we would be the most infectious, winsome, and wise people on the earth, not just for our sake, but for the sake of the nations. Holy Spirit, come and teach us today. In Jesus' name. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus, in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. Resurrection will always get you in trouble. I love Philip Yancey, the great re resurrection quote. He said, it's not so much that the cross is our problem. Many people have died for good causes. It's the fact that our God revealed in Jesus rose up from the grave. And Yancey said, that means he's out there on the loose somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whew. Anyway. So they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they, their number, they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem. When Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Chapter 3. They healed a guy at the gate beautiful who was a cripple. It was a notable sign. Silver, silver or gold, we don't have what we have. We give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And he walked and everyone had a praise party. They didn't know what to do. So they're being inquired of how did they have that kind of power? How did that miracle take place? How did the hopeless, helpless situation of the cripple at the beautiful gate happen? That's why they're in trouble. Because of an activity, an action. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed, everyone say good deed, because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of their day, the rulers and the powers, brokers of their culture. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. While they saw the man who had, when they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Here's the one-liner all morning. When they saw, they had nothing to say. 
Come on, say that with me. I want that to stick like rice. I made rice for the kids last night, so it's fresh. (laughs) When they saw, they had nothing to say. When they, they had nothing. One more time. When they saw, they had nothing to say. The Sanhedrin is annoyed because the disciples are teaching and proclaiming that the guy that they voted against to be killed and crucified is they're claiming the resurrected Lord and Messiah of Israel and therefore the world. So they're arrested. They're told to be silenced. It's nonsense, they thought. People don't get out of the grave. Even a good Jew who had good theology and their revelation and understanding believed that the resurrection at the end of the age, not the Sadducees, of course, but no one believed that God would raise a man in the middle of history and bring God's future new creation to bear on the old, broken creation by sin and death and decay and darkness. None of them saw that one coming. Future resurrection, yes, we kind of are okay with that because that's kind of out in the future, but that God would disrupt history by raising up his son in the middle of it, splitting history, we got to come to terms with that claim and that reality. The whole scene revolves not just around a message that they're saying, but a deed of power that was done in the name of the man they're claiming is the crucified, resurrected Lord. We have to understand this. We live in a culture where everyone has a voice. Everyone thinks, I I gotta say this, I gotta say this. But what makes this story so dynamic is what they're proclaiming was tied to something that God actually did in and through their life in their midst. It was words with skin on them. Come on, somebody, say, I need some skin on my words. They're not just arguing lofty theological claims. They're not just splitting the Hebrew scriptures. They're not just arguing exegetically of what did David really mean. No, there was a beggar who was bound by sickness, who stands restored and healed in the name of the resurrected Messiah. And Peter is living out of the Luke chapter 12, part one of Luke's story, narrative when, Peter, when Luke wrote, under the inspiration of the Spirit, when Jesus told the disciples, when you're brought before rulers and authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. At that moment, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to have words that no one can refute or stand against. So don't just get all freaked out. Adversity's coming. You're going to be brought before rulers, princes, governors, governments, whatever. And when that happens... That doesn't mean that I abandon you. It means for such a time as this, you live on the earth to bear faithful witness to my reality. And Peter says, you guys missed the first time around. But I'm so thankful that even when we miss Jesus, he just keeps coming around because he's so devoted to saving the lost. You missed it. You crucified him, 1 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9. The rulers of the age didn't understand what God was doing through this Jewish carpenter, and so they killed him. But it was all in partnership, Acts 2, 22 through 4, with God's deliberate divine plan that through the rebellion and hostility of man, he would actually fulfill his redemptive storyline by raising up the crucified Messiah. You guys, the builders, the gatekeepers, the ones who have the power and culture, you rejected the stone that you thought was worthless and a throwaway. But 1 Peter 2, 4 says, as you come to him as living stone, the living stone rejected by man, but chosen and precious to God. And I want you to know we're entering and we are, yay, we are in an hour where that which is rejected and despised by man need not cause us alarm. Let's just anchor our hopes in the one who is the chosen precious cornerstone from the Father's perspective. Their boldness is the problem for the Sanhedrin because it's anchored in a reality that's anchored 
and an activity. Because the deed of power was displayed before their eyes, and that deed of power draws a direct line to the one that these men are claiming as Lord and Messiah, there is a problem. And Peter just says it. There is salvation in no one else but this man, Jesus Christ. There is no system of man, no politician, no government, no tradition, no nothing. There is not salvation in anyone else but Jesus Christ. And by salvation, we mean salvation. I love this from Leslie Newbegin, the great theologian and missiologist. Salvation is as wide as creation. Everyone say it's as wide as creation. And its purpose is the restoration of sin-corrupted creation back to its original design and purpose. So when we say salvation, think it's as wide as creation, and it's all-encompassing. God is restoring creation, and in particular, his image bears back to their original design and purpose and destiny. This is what we mean by salvation. How many think that sin, when we say that we fell, that's a, the understatement of history. When we chose to sin, there was a brokenness introduced between us and God. Who's ever experienced the brokenness, the separation? Say amen. And it, it created a rift between us and others. How many have had relational strife? You know, nobody. Between humanity and creation itself, weather patterns, destructive forces, etc. And then ultimately, also, it brought destruction within the human condition itself physical, spiritual, mental illness. And so when Peter says salvation is in no one else, how many believe that Jesus and his salvation applies to all four areas? Between us and God, say us and God, between us and each other between us and creation, and between us and us. When we talk about salvation, we have to understand it applies to all four areas that were broken by sin. Come on, someone say amen. And so here's what salvation does not equal. This is sort of the enlightened camp that doesn't really want to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus or the the validity or the claims of Christ. They want progress without redemption. Or as Mark Sayers says, their vision of salvation is a kingdom utopian society without reference to the king. How many know that dog don't hunt? We're never getting there. We'll never progress our way back to the garden. And then there's also... It's not individualistic salvation of being plucked away from the world and from history and taken to another bygone world. Both visions of salvation are missing the main point, which is salvation is all-encompassing. Like Newbegin said, it's as wide as all creation. And I said this in summary, we are saved from sin and corruption of the flesh and an eternity cut off from God and we are saved for full partation in kingdom life in the power of the spirit to become instruments of righteousness rebuilders of ruined cities ambassadors of reconciliation and agents of restoration this is what Peter means by salvation how many want to trade up on their low view of what God really did through Jesus? And I want to trade up to what he actually did. I want to live out the great narrative of salvation. And when they saw the man, they had nothing to say. When they, they had nothing, cue the attempt to censor and to attenuate the apostles' message. Verse 15, keep going. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading among the people, 
let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. When they saw, they had nothing to say. This is the ancient equivalent of the early Jesus movement trying to be censored by the power brokers of their day. Those who didn't quite know what to do with Jesus. And their central claim that the man who was crucified is the resurrected, ascended, and soon coming Lord. And he is currently reigning and he demands full allegiance and affection and service he didn't, he's not really interested in amending your story. He wants to infuse your story, take you from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. He's not a slight improvement on your vision of utopian future. He is God's revelation as it pertains to salvation. What God has done in Jesus, Jesus serves as the first fruit of what he wants to do for all creation. So my question for us in our day, what do they see? What does your spouse see? What does your family see? What does your colleagues and coworkers see? What are your relational networks? What do they see? When the world looks at the church, what does she see? We all banter and love the, to say, but is there anything to see? And I don't say it with criticism. I am in the church. I'm a participant, a broken participant. But in our day, when we're clamoring for rights, and, you know, they're not living in a democracy in the first century, by the way. Rome rules by the boot, okay? Different culture. So we have the luxury and, yea, the blessing to contend for things like freedom of speech, freedom of, you get what I'm saying, praise God, it's awesome. So it doesn't exactly cross over, obviously, culturally from the first century to ours. But my question for all of us who want to say something, is there first something by the grace of God to be seen? That's my question today. You see, the beauty of God sending Jesus is he didn't just send us a message. He sent us a man, the incarnate word. He sent us the message with living flesh and bone. And when we look at Jesus, we don't just read a message. We see a message. We see the revelation and reality of God incarnate and in flesh and the grind of real life of sweat and tears and blood and Overcoming offense and rejection and betrayal and ostracization and persecution and slander. We see a lamb led to the slaughter who keeps his mouth shut because he entrusts his very soul to his father. God sent us a man who was the message incarnate. And if there's an hour that the church we've got to step into, it's not just to be the pop off with our mouth, but to step into faithful participation in the gospel. When they saw, they had nothing to say. I'm not saying we don't have deep problems with the censorship that's going on in culture and the, obviously with the first constitutional right. I'm not saying that. You can do what you want as it pertains to your participation in a democracy like ours. It's amazing. I'm talking to the church right now. When they see, when they, when they saw, they had nothing to say. What if we took all of that energy and effort as the grace of God would lead you and the spirit of Christ would provoke you? What if we threw ourselves into participation in a local body? 
What if we threw ourselves into a robust vision of abiding in so that we can obey Jesus? What if we threw all of that energy and clamoring into a faithful demonstration in a local place and region to see righteousness, that Amos 5 river roll down into our city streets, that the stream of Psalm 46 that flows from the throne of God would begin to trickle to the broken and barren places of our culture? What if we threw all of that energy, all of the say energy into that? Let's give them something to see by the grace of God. And out of what they see, that gives an opportunity to say something. Am I making sense? My stomach hurts. I'm yelling too much. When they see, we listen, I'm not saying that there's not always going to be haters. Oh, they're backwards, bigots. They believe in a Bible and a man who died. And uh, Listen, I'm not saying anything about that. Let them say what they want to say. Let anyone say. That doesn't change our call to faithful participation in the gospel, to to become disciples of Jesus who abide in and obey him, who submit all of our life, not just our spiritual life, but all of it, our time, treasure, and talent, say, Jesus, leverage the whole thing for your kingdom. Take my work, take my energy, take my talent, my intellect. Let all of it be, not for this age, but for the age to come. Let all of it be something you can just take and leverage for your purposes. When they saw, they had nothing to say. When they saw. And when so many of us, if we're honest, I've been doing my own inventory, and it's, I'm pretty humbled when they see, speaking of the world, those who don't claim any affiliation with Jesus, what do they see? Is my life basically the same? Do I allocate my resources, my time, treasure, and talent? Do they mostly revolve around me? Is my marriage any different? Are my finances any different? Do I do anything different at work? It's not about going and getting busy and trying to be different. It's submitting to the lordship of Jesus for all of life. He'll make you different. That's what he does. He's the redeemer. (laughs) He is the king of the kingdom. And if we're honest, so many times, especially in a season that we're hopefully coming out of, maybe not forever, where there hasn't been that much of a difference as it pertains to what can be seen by those who claim allegiance to Jesus Christ, it's time for us to take some serious stock and inventory and say, Lord, I may have all of the right things to say till you come back, but if there's nothing to see out of what I'm saying, then Lord, it's only gonna be ankle deep when you've called us to be people of a river you can't even swim across. With so much of the bantering and the balking at culture's attempt to shut us up or shut the church down, one of the reasons for their success is maybe because they haven't first seen something that's irrefutable. The cripple was standing with Peter and John. The apostles say it best whether it's right in God's sight to listen to you or God, you guys judge. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Come on. I already said it. I skipped. I already skipped ahead to this part. Throw yourself into a local church, a community, three people, two people. I don't care. 15 people. Practice the Jesus stuff. Give yourselves to prayer for all people in every circumstance without ceasing. Practice and obey what you read and then challenge others to do the same thing. We're not talking about going out and becoming super clever and super strapped and busy. It's submitting to the lordship of Jesus in all of life and saying, Jesus, in whatever space, place, or position I am called to fulfill, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I yield to it. Man, God used Ray so profoundly in pre-service prayer. He quoted Micah 6, 8. That's really, it's right here in my notes. He has shown you, O man, mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. To act justly. When they saw, they had nothing to say. How many think that there's a new realm of giving ourselves to participating in the justice of God in this hour? 
Those areas that are bent out of shape and broken because of the effects of sin in the fall and all of its manifestations. To love mercy. Man, how many are thankful that, that God is a God of mercy? Even today, if you're feeling like, oh, gosh, maybe my life's not that different. I'm really good at talking, not good at living. Well, then join the club. But I'm so thankful today that we have a God who loves mercy. And part of the, the beauty of the hour is he is extending his mercy so that those areas that don't look like him in the grace of God, they can become more and more like him as we yield to his love. And ultimately, so we can walk humbly with our God. Come on, someone say it. It's a walk. It's a journey. Thanks, buddy. And what I worry about, worry is not even the right word, what concerns my spirit profoundly as a 36-year-old pastor is to deal with the fallout and the impact that's already current in culture, but that is ahead of us because of what we just have been walking through, not just this year, but for many, 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 many years in our nation, the fallout of what the world views as it pertains to the church, but then the credibility of our witness. Come on, somebody. It's It's a heavy word. It's just the Bible. I didn't make this stuff up. And how many know the only way to restore credibility in anything is to live the truth that you claim and confess? Like we talked about last week, Jesus was so brilliant. You want to know, you can bank your life on the truth of my truth, live it, and you'll find out it came from my father. Jesus somehow knew, I don't know, he's pretty smart, that the greatest way to conquer any adversity or or opposition is to live the truth that you claim to believe is ultimate truth. How many know someone can say whatever they want, but if you're living out of the reality that God has revealed in Jesus and made available by the Holy Spirit, say what you want, I'm just going to stay here. And I'm going to live what the king mandated for me to live. And I I have to say this. One of the most detrimental things, again, we, because we live in the amazing reality called a democracy, the, the disciples didn't live in a democracy. It was Pax Romana. It was get in line with the emperor or... But I wonder if we just took a little bit of the energy of trying to contend for God's best for America, for our nation, if we just took a little bit of that energy, see, I didn't even say that was bad. Do it. You have the First Amendment right, all, you know, all those things. But what if a few of us said, in addition to that, we started allocating some of the energy to faithfully embodying what God calls becoming a holy nation, which how many know the First Peter 2, 9 holy nation is all of the nations who find their place in God's story through the saving, redeeming work of Jesus Christ. He says it like this, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become a, the cornerstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light okay I had to give you the context so it didn't get taken out of context friends the the primary concern of believers is not just whatever nation i call home whether it's ethiopia kentucky america africa wherever it's i want to be a faithful citizen of the holy nation of which christ is king and then i'll be faithful to participate in whatever nation i call home okay i have so much zeal on it because we've spent so much energy on this one and praise God, we can even do it because of the amazingness of the democracy. But I'm telling you, it's time, just a little bit of allocation to say, I belong to a holy nation called the chosen people of the Messiah Jesus. 
I'm not saying don't care about America changing. Care about it, because God does. But on your quest to participate in that, don't forget your higher citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And if in my effort to try to make this nation state that is a recent phenomenon, awesome or change, and if I don't participate in the character and conduct of Christ, it's doing more harm to the holy nation, the only nation that will outlast them all. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I've been holding that one in for months. And I'm not even mad. I'm just, I'm not even. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Participate in democracy. Good grief. That's amazing that you even can, that we even can. But don't lose sight of where your citizenship lies. If you're in Christ, it lies in an everlasting, unending, never shakable kingdom. Okay. You're a chosen people. A holy nation, a royal priesthood. You belong to God. Your life is not your own. Okay. So let's just allocate some energy. That doesn't mean forget participation in culture or the government or contending. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in addition to that, be anchored in some local body where you're saying, Jesus, let what you said, what you did become a reality in us. So that like Jesus said in every kingdom parable, it's going to look small. It's going to look insignificant. It's going to look weak. It's almost like you can't even hardly see it. But before you know it, that little mustard plant will light up a hillside after the rain. Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven. It's little. And so many of us, we have mistook what God says, how he accomplishes his thing. And it's always in just a few surrendered and submitted to his lordship and his claims who practice the stuff. And before long, that leaven has touched every part of the dough. And there's enough bread for everybody. What incredible. What's amazing is that the apostles maintain respect for their adversary, even when they're silenced or they're trying to be silenced. Come on, somebody. I wrote a thing that I was sort of nervous to send. I should, I'm not, I'll save that for later. Don't have time. Got to finish. Verse 23, after they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples imagine or plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. What's amazing, after they faced this adversity and obstacle, as they go back to their family, not in a complaining, bitter, griping spirit, they immediately open the book and they find themselves in the storyline of God. Come on, somebody. When the, the stuff hits the fan, when we face suffering, difficulty, don't reach for the nearest narrative that culture's spinning. Go back to the redemptive narrative of Scripture. Find yourself there and anchor your hopes in the king who's going to finish the story. They're being told to shut up, to be silenced, to stop speaking Jesus. You can't do that to us. No, they go back to their friends, their spiritual community. They open the book. They're like, okay, there we are. We're in the story. Come on. Come on. We've got to understand what story we're in. They don't go to the echo chamber of their social media. They don't, come on. They don't turn to the influencers of culture or the celebrities that everyone's looking up to and listening to. They go to the scriptures to make sense of what just happened to them. Oh, that'll take us a long way. Open the book. Let the book open you. For in this city... In fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed to do what you, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So here, listen, they're able to make sense of it. David prophesied, Psalm 2, that nations would raise against your son and your king. 
Okay, well, they obviously did that, but in their rage against you, you leveraged all of their rebellious energy towards your redemptive purposes. You used their rebellion to kill your son, and then you vindicated and validated the, the, the royal claims of Jesus' rightful heir to David's throne. Read Romans 1, 2 through 6. And you raised up your son, confounding the wisdom of the wise. You used their rebellion against them for your purposes. This is what they're doing in that room when they're praying. They're like, guys, we just got told to stop saying, but what they saw, they couldn't see, or whatever the one-liner was. When they saw, they had nothing to say, but now they're saying something, even though they saw what, okay. And I want you to see this. This is the hour of the church of the church. They were, listen, because their faith revolved around a rejected, crucified king, they were able to see that hostility, difficulty, and resistance did not mean that God abandoned them. In fact, they could see a new way forward because at the center of their faith was a rejected, ostracized, hated, despised, and crucified man. They're like, man, we're following him. He's used to these waters. He's used to not being just blindfully accepted and gleefully surrendered to and acknowledged as the rightful heir and ruler of the world. Man, if he knew all of that, maybe if we follow him, we could just stay in the draft of his prince, of, of the prince of peace. And if we stay in his, you get what I'm saying. So listen, they come back from the persecution. They locate themselves in the story of God. They don't complain. They don't gripe. They hold it all against not just what David said, but everything anyone ever said has to go through then Jesus, the, the centerpiece of all of Scripture. Okay, he was despised and rejected, and God, you didn't abandon him. You accomplished your purposes through rejection, resistance, and difficulty. Maybe your plan is still going forward, even though they're trying to shut us down. Oh, that's good stuff right there. They knew that the road would be tough, riddled with adversity, opposition, persecution, because Jesus Christ told them it would. They were also able to see that even through, especially through resistance and rejection, God's purposes will still be fulfilled. Come on, how many believe God's purpose can still be fulfilled for the church in America and in the nations of the earth? Okay. How are we doing? I'll send my notes. You can pick everything I've set apart. You know, I'll just send them, email them later this afternoon. Then finally, Luke records their prayer. Here's where we are in the story. Jesus told us this would happen. Rejection and resistance. We're not abandoned. That doesn't mean step in. He was resisted and rejected. And look, he kind of turned out okay. And then they pray. Come on, somebody. Then they prayed. And now, Lord, verse 29, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Listen, they placed their adversaries in the hands of the sovereign Lord. Come on, there's no better place for you to place your perceived enemies than in God's loving, just, merciful hands. Only if you remember that you too were once an enemy of God, Colossians 1, 20 through 23. You were an enmity. You hated God. You were a fool in your mind before the awakening of the gospel. So when we pray for our enemies, remember, you used to be one. I used to be one. Okay, anyway. So they place their adversaries, the sovereign Lord, consider their threats. That's them taking their Sanhedrin, all of those that just tried to censor him, shut them down. Sovereign Lord, they're in your hands. But they're not ultimately our problem. Come on, somebody. Give us boldness to speak and just keep on healing and producing the signs that cause people to wonder through the power of Jesus' resurrection life. And then they get a Holy Spirit top off. <laughs> More people were supposed to laugh. That was a good joke. They get a Holy Spirit top off. 
I thought they were already filled. Yeah, get filled again. You're going to need it for the road ahead. Good grief. I was saved, saved 30, 40 years ago. Praise God. Get baptized again. I need the fire. How about you? I need, I need it today. Just like I, you, We're never done asking. We need more because the road ahead is not easy. They didn't, look at this, in their prayer, you'll notice they didn't ask for a different season, a different scenario, a different reality. What they asked for heaven's reality to flood the earth, to flood their reality. Consider the opposition, it's real, but grant us boldness in light of it and through it. Come on, consider the opposition, it's real, but give us boldness in the light of it and all the way through it. When they saw They had nothing to say. When they saw, they had nothing to say. The reason I really don't like this message and I'm the one giving it or partnering with God is because it demands all from all of us. And that is not a scenario that we have taken seriously as a church, the church. How many believe we are in an all hands on deck hour? I've been saying it for weeks, get out of the bleachers, become a disciple. You don't know how. I got the best book I've ever read. I've read a library called How to Follow Jesus. The best, right, sister? I got a sister in the back I gave to. It's the best. Help. If you need help, come talk to us. Talk to Steve Moeller. He's an amazing discipler, influencer, and his wife, Tish. Talk to somebody. But how many believe that the hour is an hour where all are called in and called out and called up? Oh, everybody, everybody, when they saw, they had nothing to say. And part of the brilliance of what the world is longing to see is a group of people who look different, smell different. Come on, somebody. They sound different. They're from different social economic classes. They even speak different languages. But there's a man at the center of their community who makes them one. Not, Not homogenous. They don't lose their distinctives, but their distinctives get glory on them. (laughs) their beauty, their uniqueness, their diversity in unity becomes a sign that causes a divided, caricature-ridden culture that just hangs out with those who look like, feel like, think like them. The church is that community that disrupts the whole program. Why are you guys together? Why are you submitted to each other? Why do you share resources? Why do you forgive instead of fight to get your own way? Why do you reconcile instead of go to a prayer meeting, you leave your gift and go make it right with your brother? Why do you live the Sermon on the Mount? Why do you not just say it's not enough not to divorce? I don't want to live a lifestyle of lust. Why is it enough when you get your right cheek slapped, you turn the other one and say, I'm your brother, not your enemy. Hit it. You missed a spot. With those who don't just love those who look like them and think like them, but even enemies become prayer partners. We love them because our Father causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends right rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm just quoting the Sermon on the Mount. Friends, this is the hour to step in to practice that stuff together. It's not in the big glitz and the glam and Instagram story or highlight reel. It's the faithful, humble reliance on the Spirit of God and provision of Christ in the little mundane stuff that no one will ever see except for the king. When they saw, they had nothing to say. It's amazing. And then it goes on. I'm just going to finish here. Now, the whole group of those who believed, you want to know how they sustained all of this? Come on, somebody. A bunch of individuals didn't just sustain this living their own individual life. How many want that narrative come come crashing down? We need each other is what I'm trying to say. We're going to need each other for the road ahead. It's like not like a, I, if I feel like being in the, like we're going to need each other for the road ahead. We've always needed each other, but you know. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of possessions. Let's skip that part. Don't like it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can't skip parts you don't like, folks. 
Come on, no one called me on that. But everything they owned, they held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. We don't really know what to do with this passage, so let's just leave it there. You can think about it later. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and, what was, and, and it was distributed to each one as they had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph. They gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold the field that belonged to him. Then he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Da, 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 da. What, what, this, what this speaks to me, what screams to me, this is the community where they're working out the seen, felt, tangible reality of Christ's claims on a people. Come on, this community served as the hotbed, the springboard to their faithful witness. Come on, how many believe we've been like, let's be faithful witnesses, but haven't really known what to do with the faithful practice and community part. I'm not saying don't be a faithful witness. I'm just saying witness will take a whole new light and carry a whole new weight and power if there's a faithful practicing community you're launching from. You see what I'm saying? Oh, go share, go say, go, I'm, praise God, go say. That's great, amen. But look what the brilliance of what they did. Their rhythm was faithful witness always had a community where they were working out faithful practice together. You know, the unflashy stuff like forgiveness. <sighs> Darn it. Ugh. Like that... Uh, Commercial, the easy button. There's no easy button. Staples, it's out of business. Sorry. <laughs> Just laugh at me. Last story. You know, I was too good. To st- I'm not, I'm just gonna end. And if we need to do communion later, we can. I'm not tripping. Those things don't go bad. I've never known what to do with the Ananias and Sapphira story. I've studied Acts for for many years. Ananias and Sapphira, I don't like that story. (laughs) Do you like that story? I mean, it's never a good day when you're like second and third biggest givers of your church movement strike, get struck down dead. But I felt like this week as I studied this passage, God gave me a place for it. And I don't like the place, but it's a place. If the greatest need of the church is to live out our faith and fidelity to the gospel through concrete attitude and action, character and conduct, then the greatest threat to the church is hypocrisy. of saying one thing but living another, of all outer show but no inner glory. But a man named Ananias, this is very quick, I have four comments on this very quick. A man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge, kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You kept back part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did you not remain the owner? And after it was sold, were not all the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all of those who heard it. The young men, I'd love to be those ushers, not, came in and they wrapped up his body and they carried him out and buried him. Whoa! Why would I and Ananias and Sapphira do this? Well, they just saw a dude named Barnabas, who got a name change, they probably think, man, that guy gave everything, so we probably should too, but we're still stuck in the old paradigm of greed and selfishness, so let's just pretend that we were more generous than we really were. Let's play the part, but not really become the people in the grace of God of the part that we're saying we're playing. Barnabas got a name change. I want my name on the plaque. I want to be servant number one. I w- Come on, somebody. Come on. This is how we operate if we're honest sometimes. Thank God he didn't just strap him. The drug is dead. 
I want to appear this way, but it's not really true of who I am. But as long as you think it, I'm good. The only problem is behind the deceived eyes, there are eyes of fire that see right through every false claim and confession. Darn it. He just sees perfectly. And it seems right here at the very start of the Jesus Kingdom community explosion that was about to influence the whole Roman Empire, by the way, from the margins, different story. It seemed very important that when hypocrisy, the first sign of it, I mean, there's many more signs, good grief. This is the first big one, though, since all of Acts, and the Lord's like, I'm going to shut this down right quick. If you lose the reality of a confession tied to a reality that you're becoming in real life by the grace of God, if you think that somehow I'm cool with that, this whole thing is going to get derailed really quick. When you think you can say one thing but live another reality, I'm going to shut this down right now before this community starts getting sprinkled all over the nations of the earth. Oh, I started getting a place for this story. And I, don't, I don't like the place, but it's, I felt like the Lord said, this is why the story's there right here. Where you think you can live under the illusion and you can appreciate the big donor, the big giver, and you can operate how every other kingdom and world where it's about the big and the brash and the, you know, the, the powerful and look how much they gave. And the Lord's like, I don't operate out of your paradigms. I operate out of, I call it the heart paradigm. I look straight at the heart. I'm the only one that can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm the only one who can put grace and strength in your life and the spirit of God through the word of God so that what you say can increasingly become who you are and how you're living by my grace and by my spirit. I'm the only one that can do it. So I just have one agenda or paradigm. It's called the heart paradigm. Okay, hurry up. We're done. After an interval, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord on the test? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear seized the entire church and those who heard of these things. Chad, what happened to the Saul see what they saw? They said, yeah, this is, part, this is an extension of that. Come on, you have to see it. This first big moment of, of known compromise and hypocrisy, the Lord's like, I'm not okay with it. Like, really not okay with it. And it cost them deeply. Outward circumstances, let me go on record. They may make it difficult, may cost us our lives, heads, whatever. But outward circumstances such as resistance, persecution, being ousted or ostracized by culture are not the greatest threat to faithful, fruitful, flourishing kingdom disciples. They are not the greatest threat. They may be the greatest threat to our comfort, to our lifestyle. Can we say that? Probably they are a threat to that. But it will always be the inward circumstances of cherished sin, hypocrisy, division, disunity, envy, jealousy, slander, harboring bitterness, misplaced loves and longings, hopes and allegiances and affections that will cause the kingdom community to implode on itself. That's heavy, I know, but it's true. Just ask our brothers and sisters around the world where the church is exploding. Outward circumstances don't have more power than the Holy Spirit to form the life of Christ in you. They don't. They don't. As hard as they may be, they, don't, they can't compete with the Spirit of God's power to form Jesus in you so that the life of Jesus can flow through you. And it seems as though, in most cases, outer pressure and resistance can be used by God to get into your heart, into places that have been hidden all along. It might be that the outer fire and resistance and pressures God can take, just like he took the rebellious energy of his contemporaries that killed him, and he leveraged it for his purposes so that the crucified king could become the resurrected king, the Father's glory. What if in our day, in America, or whatever nation you're watching, 
all of the pressure outside, what if we just opened up our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, go ahead and cleanse me and fill me and be the Lord of every area, not just the area I thought you were interested in. You're Lord of it all, so come and be Lord of it all. Interestingly, there's only one other occasion where someone is struck dead in the book of Acts. Interestingly, here, when hypocrisy, lying, testing the spirit, proclaiming to be one thing but really being another, the other time someone was struck dead, Acts chapter 12, when a political candidate person took on divine aspirations and hope from the audience. This is the voice of the gods, not of man. And Herod didn't deflect it and reflect it back to God, the covenant God of Israel. He took divine hopes. I already preached on this like 15 weeks ago. He took and absorbed divine hope, divine praise, and worms ate him. You can't make this up in the book of Acts. First struck dead by God, hypocrisy. Second struck by God when people were claiming one of their public servants was the voice of God and the public servant didn't point it back. Just read it, Acts 12, it's the weirdest story. Why is it even there? To teach us, to teach us, to provoke us. Hypocrisy in the church, a lack of continuity between what we claim and confess and what we actually live. Ananias and Sapphira. And then Herod when divine hope is placed on the shoulder of a public official who failed to deflect and redirect praise and hope to God alone. Friends, how many today want to just say, God, whatever it is, I know there's areas in me, Lord, I want to give by the grace of God. I want to live in such a way that there's something to see so that then there's nothing to say, but why do you live the way you're living? How many believe that great verse that we've all been told to quote for evangelism? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. How many know an answer implies a question first? Come on. When they saw, they had nothing to say. Can you stand on your feet with me? Let the weight of his love just wash over you, the power of his spirit. Holy Spirit, Why don't you grab that communion cup right now? It's in the middle of your table. The new covenant was God's provision for our hypocrisy. Come on, somebody, say amen for the body and blood of Jesus. The power of the new covenant reality, the new covenant of the blood of Jesus that ratified the pouring out of the Holy Spirit for all flesh. This is the provision of God so that you and I could live a concrete faith in God. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Take the bread this morning. This is God's provision for everything we've just talked about. The word became flesh, lived the life we could never live, died the death that we deserve so that he could raise us up to new life in his spirit so that we could actually follow in his footsteps. This is the provision of God. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. For whenever you eat this bread or drink from this cup, you proclaim my death that I came and you look forward to the day when I will come again to make all things new. And so let's take the cup this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your word, like Jeremiah the prophet, would burn in the hearts of your people. Father, it's heavy, but this is a heavy hour. I thank you, Lord, that when you put something in us or upon us, it's an invitation to greater participation. 
to cast off every other yoke and to say yes to the yoke of Jesus, the beautiful yoke of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, we have a direct invitation to learn to live all of life directly from the author of life itself, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for those who right now in this room or online who are walking under heavy yokes of sin or heavy yokes of shame or heavy yokes of dullness of heart or compromise, heavy yokes of addiction, I pray that those yokes would be broken off right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that, Father, you would extend the yoke of your son over your church, that, Father, you would slay hypocrisy in us. Come on, pray that with me. Lord, slay hypocrisy in me, in us. We wanna, we wanna live out the confession and claim that Jesus is Savior and Lord of all. And Father, I pray in this hour, you would raise up a community of people that would be a living demonstration of the King and his kingdom in this epic hour that we live. Lord, we give you the, the hour that we're in. We ask that you would flood it with your healing love, your supernatural resurrection life and power that you would push back the works of darkness and raise up a people who emanate and beam with your glorious light for this hour. Father, for those carrying assignments right now that are beyond heavy, they can't even take a step, would you strengthen your sons and daughters for the road ahead? And would your glory shine upon us and flow through us as we go this week? In Jesus' matchless name, we all said amen and amen. I love you guys so much. Bless you. Come and get prayer if you need it. If not, have a great week. He is good.